0: We are in a series called, What Does It Mean to Follow Jesus? And we're looking at the different ways that the Bible talks about what it means to follow Jesus. And so we've got a number of verses. Um, We're going to be looking at lots of different parts of the Bible. In this series, we've seen, in what it means to follow Jesus, we've seen that we can experience Jesus daily by spending time with him. Right? That's kind of where we've been so far. We can experience Jesus every day by spending time with him, talking to him, listening to him as we pray, and as we read the Bible. But I think that if you've begun to do that, or if you've been doing that, following Jesus for any length of time, you will come to a realization at some point that following Jesus can be hard. It's difficult. God says that it's difficult. He knows it's difficult. He actually, God says it's impossible to follow Jesus alone. And so what God does, He does something incredibly special for you. What God does for you as you decide to follow Jesus, as you make a commitment to following Him, is that God, first and foremost, adopts you. God adopts you. That's what the first verse in this list says, 1 John 3, 1. It says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, That we should be called children of God. And so we are. This verse is amazing. When you begin to follow Jesus, God adopts you. He treats you as his beloved son or daughter. Okay, God of the universe, loving you like a perfect father. I mean, and that assurance, that, that love from God, that sense of that he's f- with us and for us, that gives us strength and hope in our efforts to follow Jesus. But look at the verse. Look at, look at notice what this verse uh, says. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. If you have a pen, I'd circle those words there in your bulletin. Circle the words, us, and we, and then we. Because as you begin to experience the love of God the Father, you realize that you are actually part of a group of people that are loved by God. God has lots of children. Okay, lots of children. And if we are all his children, then that makes us... Brothers and sisters. Right? We are brothers and sisters. When we begin to follow Jesus, God says to us, Welcome to the family. God says, Welcome to my family. And the name that the Bible uses for God's family is the church. The church. If you strip away everything that you might know or have experienced, there's lots of things that are said about the church, things the church does in our culture and our day, lots of things that are negative that, that are said about the church. If you strip all of that away and simply look at the Bible, when the Bible wants to describe what the church is, the Bible says that the church is the family of God. It's the family of God. And this is what 1 Timothy three fourteen and 15 says. It's there in your bulletin. It says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. In the New Testament, the word household is the word for family. It's the word for family. So the church is the family of God. At the core, that's what it is. It's the family of God. So when you follow Jesus, you are welcomed into God's family. Now, hearing that, for some people, that may not be good news. The idea that, oh, now I'm part of the church? Yee, right? Because there is quite a bit of negative stuff out there. If you ask people about the church, it's really interesting. There's a, there's a big difference. If you ask the people that you know, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members who, who aren't following Jesus, ask them, so, what do you think about Jesus? Oh, man. I got a lot of good things to say about Jesus, right? Great teacher, great uh, model, incredibly sacrificial, right? I mean I mean all these things they say, and then, then if you ask them, "What do you think about the church?" You don't usually get positive responses when you ask people about the church. Um, there was a YouTube video that I saw, and, and it just says, "We love Jesus, but we hate His followers. So, I think it's understandable. It's understandable why some people, you know, rail against or or have a a negative reaction to the church. Um, It's understandable, but but God knew what He was doing. God knew what He was doing when He designed it to be this way. Um, He created the followers of Jesus to become a family because we all need it. We all need a family. And we need it most during the times in our lives when we are alone, when we're wrong, when we're tired. Right? Those are probably the three biggest areas when we need the family of God. And that's when the family of God makes such a big difference. And so that's what we're going to look at today. If you want to take notes or write something down, the three points we're going to see today from, uh, from these verses is that the church is a blessing when we are alone. Second, the church is a blessing when we are wrong. And then the church is a blessing when we are tired. When we're alone, when we're wrong, and when we're tired. That's what we're going to see as we walk through what the Bible has to say about God's family, the church. So let's look first at uh, the the church is a blessing when we are alone. 2 Timothy 4.16 At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. This is the Apostle Paul talking about himself. He wrote half the New Testament, and even Paul had times when he felt alone, when he felt deserted, when he felt abandoned. In our efforts to follow Jesus, you are going to feel alone. Some of you right now feel the way Paul felt in verse 16 of 2 Timothy. Some of you feel that way. Many of you feel like you're following Jesus all by yourself at work, in your family, with your friends and your neighbors. Like you've been abandoned by others who didn't understand your faith in Jesus or rejected it, didn't like it. And it's when we're alone or abandoned, that's the moment we need to remember and experience God saying, Welcome to my family. You're not alone, you're part of my family. The next verse there on the list is 1 Corinthians 12. Verses 12 and 13 says this. This It gives us this great illustration. It says, For just as the body, human body, is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And so, as a family, God wants us really to understand how important we are to each other. Okay, when you begin to follow Jesus and you're baptized, you are baptized into the body of Christ. Okay, and so what that means is that we are related to each other like a family, and we are dependent on one another. We depend on one another. Jesus is the head right? Some of you are the hands. Some of you are the feet. Some of you are the the liver. Um, Some of you are muscles. Some of you are bones, right? We are dependent on each other. There's one lady I've talked to who says, I feel like I'm the earwax in the body of Christ. And I thought she was just being self-deprecating, you know, and, and just sort of being humble. And I said, "Oh, yeah, you know, I asked her what she meant, and she said, "You know, I, I feel like God has given me an ability to hear lots of things that go on and to filter out what is not good. so she actually has a discerning heart, like she can discern truth and error and be able to dissect what is good and what 's not good, and so she acts like a filter for the ear, so I like it, I like it well, and so Um, So we're a family, we're dependent on each other. And then verses 26 and 27 show us the result of this sort of interdependent relationship. It says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So the bottom line here is that you're not alone. If there is a family of God on earth, you are not alone. If there are other people who are seeking to follow Jesus, then you are not alone. One of our folks said to me, I've been to church before. I've been to other churches, but I've never felt like I belonged to a church until Harbor. And I know many of you have felt that way. You experience the blessings of being part of a loving community. We have to remember, though, that God's family is still growing. Okay, God is constantly seeking out and adding new people. He's calling people into his family. And we see this. There's new folks here every week on a weekly basis. We see new people entering into our community. And it puts it on to us. There are folks who need to know that they are not alone, right? We all need to be looking to help others feel like they can belong, that they can belong. The next verse there shows us how we do this. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 3 to 5. It says, Therefore they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. This is a great picture of what you can do to help other people belong. Now in this context there were people who were suffering and these folks that are being written about they begged earnestly for the favor of helping shoulder the finances of the church. that's what's being talked about here. And financial support is one way that all of us supports the family of God here at Harbor. But I love the way it's described. Look at verse 5. It says, And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves. They gave themselves. First to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. And so when you take a step, toward helping someone else feel like they're not alone. When you take a step to make somebody else feel like they belong, you are giving a piece of yourself. You're sacrificing some of yourself for them. And people can tell when you care. And when you care, That's what ends loneliness for others. And so practically speaking, what are you doing to help others enter into and belong to God's family? Think about that. To help others feel like they're not alone, but they're part of the family of God. I mean, it can be as simple as simply, it's just asking people, so how are you doing? How are you doing? Sometimes just a mind shift change, that—that that, that realizing that, you know what, God actually is calling you to make other people feel like they're not alone on Sunday. Just mind shift. You know what, I'm coming to church because there's actually people there that I am going to get to care about. That I'm going to get to connect with to help them feel like they belong. Like what a blessing is that, right? I mean that God would use you. That someone would feel like you know I showed up at church and I was kind of discouraged. Maybe I was even close to just deciding you know what I'm I'm done, I'm out. And somebody asked me how I was doing, and when I told them I was doing okay, they actually asked and pressed in. They didn't just take it at face value, but they said no 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 really, how are you doing? And I could tell they cared. They told me they were going to pray for me. They told me they were going to ask me how I was was doing next week. Or they were going to call me this week. Or they were going to send me an email just to keep me encouraged. You have no idea how powerful that is if you've never experienced it. If you want to welcome folks here on Sundays, invite them to be part of your community group. Pray for them. Follow up. Ask them how they're doing. And then as you learn about them and what their life is like, things that are good, things that are bad, Romans 12, 15 makes it really, really simple. If you want to know how do you care for somebody, how do you make them not feel alone? Really, really simple. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. You know, if they're happy, be happy with them. If they're down, be down with them. C.S. Lewis said, friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. My own personal experience has also been that friendships are born when one person says to himself, finally there is someone who cares and understands. So you can see how the church is a blessing when you are alone. Our second point is that the church is also a blessing when we are wrong. When we are wrong. Sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? But here's the good news, right? Here's the good news is that you don't have to be perfect to be part of God's family. Amen, right? That's good news. If you're not perfect, welcome to the family. We're not either. In fact, the purpose of the church is that it helps us all to grow, it's one of the functions of the church is that all of us, as we participate in this family life together, we actually grow and develop spiritually. Um, When we join God's family, when you commit to following Jesus, inevitably there are parts of your lives that don't line up with the way of Jesus. Right? There's a way that Jesus lived. There's a way that Jesus calls us to live. And there inevitably are going to be parts of your life, when you begin to follow Jesus, that don't line up with that there are areas of your life there are areas of my life habits actions that don't fit with Jesus's wisdom for a life of spiritual flourishing right you got to remember that's what Jesus is after Jesus wants your life to flourish he wants you to experience joy security peace love gentleness patience kindness self he wants you to experience these things in abundance and so, everything about the way of Jesus is leading you into that kind of life. And if we're honest, there are areas of our lives that don't match up with Jesus' wisdom for us to be able to do that. Okay? Because when we become Christians, we commit to following Jesus. Right? And in our hearts, we're committed to following Him wherever He leads, but we're not perfect. We're not perfect. And so in the Bible, our sins are the places where we fall short of Jesus' perfect standard. Okay, that's how it works. Um, And so when we are out of step with Jesus, we're wrong. Okay? Just kind of how it works. If it's Jesus on one side and we're on the other, we're, we're wrong. Okay? Now, there's lots of reasons why we might be wrong. Okay, sometimes we just don't know that we're wrong. Okay, sometimes we're wrong because we're immature. Other times we're wrong because we don't think we can change. It's too hard and we give up. And then there's times when we are wrong and we just don't care. And that's, I think, the, the worst place to be. It's the worst place because that means that our heart's not lined up with Jesus and we don't want it to be. Now, God cares about this. He cares about us when we're wrong, like any loving, wonderful father would. Um, And so he speaks to us. He speaks through the Bible to help us grow in our ability to follow Jesus, right? Because he knows that is the best life we could possibly live. And so he speaks, but he also calls us as family members, as brothers and sisters, to care for each other in a way that helps us all to grow in following Jesus. Okay? And what I love is that God teaches us not just that we need to help each other when we're wrong, but God also teaches us how we are to help each other when we're wrong. Okay, look at the next verse Galatians 6 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. I love this. Because there's a call. We need to seek to restore each other. Boy, isn't that a good word, right? That's the goal, is restoration, right? If we're going to come and help somebody else see how they might be wrong or out of step with the way of Jesus, our goal is to restore them, right? That's a good word to memorize, that when you're going to talk to somebody else, you need to come alongside them, you need to confront them, you need to to talk to them about something that's not right in their life, your goal is restoration. Okay? It's not popping them in the nose. It's not hitting them over the head. It's restoration. So we're not talking about harsh or beating somebody up. It says here that we need to do it gently. Gently. In a spirit of gentleness. So what does this look like? Well... When you bring it up, you start off by you don't accuse, right? But you ask first. So I've noticed this behavior in your life. I've noticed that you do this thing. I've noticed that this is something that you have gotten involved with. I know that this is a decision that you've made in your life, and I'd like to ask you a question. Okay, and and just so you know, I'm kind of nervous because I don't want you to take this the wrong way. My hope is to speak to you in love. So I want to ask, do you think that you're following Jesus when you do this? And I hope that you're receiving this in love. Right? That's how you bring up something in a spirit of gentleness. Right? It's not, hey, the Bible says that you need to cut this out, and if you don't, now I'm going to tell somebody else. why people love Jesus and not his followers. <laughs> In a spirit of gentleness. And then, I, I love it, it keeps going. Galatians 6, uh, verse 1 says, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so here, not just with a spirit of gentleness, but don't be a hypocrite. Right? Don't be a hypocrite. Recognize that you need to humble yourself when you go to bring up something, to tell someone else that they're in the wrong. You need to do that with humility because we all have areas of our lives where we struggle to follow Jesus. Right? None of us are perfect. Um, When you ask people, like, which sins are the worst? First, they'll give you what everybody says are the worst sins. But then the second worst sins that they would list off to you in a list of priorities are the sins they don't struggle with. OK? At the very bottom of the list are the sins that they struggle with. Those aren't as bad. And why do people feel that way? Well, it's because you think about the things you struggle with, you don't think they're as bad, partly because you hope they don't, they're, they're not as bad in God's eyes. Um, but <clears throat> it's because you actually understand how hard it is. You understand the struggle. You get it. Like, you know how difficult it is to keep yourself from making that same decision every single time you're in that situation. Right? You know how hard it is because you just kind of fly off the handle. Like, it's just sort of a reaction. It just happens. Right? And so you're incredibly compassionate with yourself. Right? This is why it says in a spirit of gentleness, because you want to have that same understanding, that same compassion with someone else, with the other person. And so you got to remember that. When you remember that, it will help you to show them that you love them. It'll help your love to come across, where someone will say, well, I may not like what you're saying to me, but I know that you're saying this to me because you care. And I can feel that you're not just trying to beat me up, but you care about me. Colossians 3.16 also helps here. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. When the church, when 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 we do this with each other, when we come alongside and try to be a blessing to someone else who's wrong, you've got to remember, it's it's, it's Jesus' way that matters, not yours. Okay? It's not your words. It's the word of Christ that matters. You shouldn't be confronting somebody else about your opinion. Okay? Because your opinion is not the grounds by which you can tell somebody else that they're wrong. And so Colossians three sixteen, it's the word of Christ. You want the word of Christ to be dwelling in you richly. When you go to them, you want to share the part of the Bible that will help them see that the way of Jesus is different. That Jesus has something different in store and in mind for them. Okay? And the good news is that when we restore each other like this, when we do it in the spirit of gentleness, with humility, with the word of Christ, Galatians 6.2 says, when you do this, you fulfill the law of Christ. You know what that means? That means that when we do this, Jesus, our big brother, is up in heaven going, yes, that's it. Yes, that's how I want you to grow. That's how I want you to help each other, to restore each other, to be a blessing to each other. You're you're sharing each other's burdens. That's my family, and that is the way it's supposed to be. So the church is a blessing to us when we're alone. It's a blessing to us when we're wrong. Our final point is that the church is a blessing to us when we're tired. When we're tired. We said before that God knows that life is hard. God also knows that life is long. Life is long. There's a verse that's not on your list. It's Hebrews 12, verse 1. It says that we need to run the race of life with endurance. Translated, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Okay? We've got 70, 80, maybe 90 years. Right? A number of you have far less than that. Um, you're already running with endurance. But the, the reality is that we get tired. And when we are tired, we need each other. We need each other when we're tired. And it's a little bit counterintuitive because when you're tired, you just want to be alone, right? You just want to relax. You just want to disengage. You don't want to have to, you know. But the Bible tells us that what we need is each other when we feel tired. Look at Hebrews 10, verse 24. It says, And let us consider how to stir, one, to stir up one another to love and good works. Right, we've got to think about this. Think about how you can stir up other people to follow Jesus. It's like stirring the wood in a dying fire and adding fuel to it so that it can blaze again. Right? We need this when our lives are dying. We need this when our energy is spent, when we're tempted to give up because it's too difficult. Like this is what we need. So in terms of of next steps here, how do you do this? Start caring about people in our church family. Just do what this verse says. Consider, how can I stir up someone else toward love and good works? How can I help someone else in this church family to stimulate their spiritual walk with Jesus? Maybe it's praying for them. I mean, I, I'm serious that it starts with just asking how you're doing and really wanting to get an answer. That's where it starts. What's going on in your life? How are you doing? How is, how is it going as you're trying to follow Jesus? Um, I mean, not as a second degree or interrogation, but just I'm interested to know what's going on in your life. I'd love to know if I can be of any help to you at all. Because I care. And so start caring for others in this church family. Um, You can join a community group, right? If you're not in a community group, boy, this is... our Community groups are where so much of this blessing happens. Where people come together and they care about each other and they're praying for each other, they're sharing, they're getting together and discussing each week how can we follow Jesus? Like, how do we do this? How do we do this effectively? If you want to be a part of a community group, you can... Fill out a card, fill out the tear-off sheet, right? Just say, you know what, can you tell me a little bit more about community groups? We'd love to follow up with you, get you connected. You can join the membership of the church, right? Become a member, right? The next Welcome to Harbor class is July 16th, in just a couple weeks. Uh, membership is simply publicly stating that you are willing to follow Jesus and that this church family is your church family. That's what membership is. I did a little bit of, of reading. You get connected to kind of some, some different sorts of things, and I'm really interested in the brain and what the brain is and, and how it functions. You have the brain physically and you have the mind, which is more of a non-physical entity. Um, well, recently, science has discovered that the brain is like a living muscle. Okay? There are ways that the brain acts like a muscle um, in that you can train it. You can train your brain, okay? You can, and the more you stimulate your brain in certain areas, the more your brain begins to crave that same stimulation. Okay, they, they've proven this. It's been tested with all sorts of things, like computer games, um, pornographic images. There are certain behaviors. And what happens is, as you train your brain to be stimulated by these certain behaviors, when you try to stop, you will begin to crave that stimulation. Okay? And sometimes that craving gets so powerful that you really honestly feel powerless to resist the craving. Okay, how many of you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Um, This is part of the reason why we experience addictions. Okay, And it's interesting, because the Bible actually talks about this. In Romans 6.16, it says it so succinctly. It says, don't you know that if you keep obeying something, you will become enslaved to it? Yeah, when I read that, I was like, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> but thanks, now I do. You know, and it, it wanders through in that passage. Yeah, you can either obey sin, which leads to death, or you can obey God. Which leads to righteousness and salvation. Right? And so, what's interesting though is that we feel controlled, don't we? By our emotions. We feel controlled by anger or our bitterness. These things like they get a hold of us, right? And they just, and they lead us. Um, Or we feel controlled by our desires, right? Our desires for power or for sex, for, for alcohol or for food. And what happens when you try to stop an addiction, right? It is so hard, right? It is so hard. This research showed that when you stop stimulating the brain with patterns, habits, or addictions, um, it will end up getting back to normal. Do you know how long it takes? For your brain to go from being addicted to a particular kind of stimulation to it not craving that stimulation anymore. You know how long it takes? 21 days, right? 21 days to make or break a habit? Wrong. (laughs) Wrong. Not 21 days. A month? Three months? Yeah, boy. Nine years. Nine years to go from being addicted to stimulation to not experiencing that craving psychologically, physically anymore. So when I learned that, it did two things to me. The first thing is it gave me hope. um, Because I thought, wow, okay, at least I'm not so abnormal. (laughs) There's things I've been working on for years, things that I've been working on, feeling like sometimes they're getting better, but then sometimes I feel like I'm not making any progress at all. Areas where I want to grow, and it sort of it made me feel affirmed that okay, I'm in a process, and it's okay if it takes a longer period of time than I've thought it should. Right, so I almost I felt affirmed and I had hope, even though I haven't completely changed. Like I'm in a process now. But the second thing, when I realized it would take nine years. That made me feel despair. Honestly. It's like nine years? You tell me I'm going to fight with this for nine years? (sighs) Folks, this is why the church is so important. Because we get tired. We get tired. In this race of life, we desperately need companions on the journey. We need to not be doing this alone. This is why God says, become part of my family. Because he knows that we can't do it on our own. And when we look back at Hebrews 10 and look at verse 25, right? Stirring up one another to love and good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. This is the key. It's relationships. We need each other. We need each other. You need a community of people who will say to you, we welcome you here. You are not alone. We are all growing together, and we are with you. We are with you in this, no matter what. As committed to you as we are to Jesus, Because to commit to him means to commit to you. You're not alone. You can't do this alone. And by God's power and with God's family, nine years can and often is significantly shorter. It can be significantly shorter. I know life is busy. I get it. My life is crazy busy, like I understand 60-hour work weeks. I mean, you got all kinds of things that are, that, are, that are clamoring for your time. We don't have time for relationships. Right? We don't have time for God's family. But here's the thing. You are going to be someone in nine years. Okay? Nine years from today, July 3rd of 2020, you're going to be someone. And the question you want to ask yourself is do I want that someone to have the influence of Jesus and his family or not? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus in the midst of a world that you know yourself how hard it is for us. You lived it. You were tempted in every way that we are. And in the midst of this world, we thank you that you, you know that we need you and we need each other. Help us, Lord. Help us to be these kind of people for each other in this church family. Help every single one of us to own the responsibility to be this kind of family to people outside so that we would provide this experience of welcome when people cross our paths and enter in on Sundays. Show each one of us how we can love others, how we can care for someone else. Show us how to do that now so that we can do it today. Thank you, Lord, that with you we are not alone. Thank you that you restore us in a spirit of gentleness and thank you that you are with us when we're tired. And thank you, Lord, for doing those things through the brothers and the sisters in this church. Help us, Lord, so that we can give you glory, so that we can fulfill your law and make you super excited about the relationships that exist here. We'll give you thanks and praise. Amen.